Introducing the new Starbucks Pistachio Cream Cold Brew. Silky Pistachio Cream Cold Foam tops our bold, smooth cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark. And before we jump into this episode, I want to thank our sponsors, AKG, for the incredible Lyra mic and the headphones that they've sent. It's part of their Podcasters Essentials Kit, and it's the most affordable way to get high-quality gear to do your own podcast. Tim Foljan has had a very interesting career. He's worked with Steve Shelley, Lee Ronaldo, and Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth. He's toured extensively with Jad Fair, Half Japanese, Cat Power, Thurston Moore, Towns Van Zant, and others. He's been in a TV band called Sideboob on Orange is the New Black, and he's pursuing a master's degree in psychoanalysis. And he has a new album coming out. It's called I Dream to Dream, and it'll throw some of the coolest curveballs at you. Check it out on Cart Horse Records. Pre-order it on their site or at timfoyan.com. He's on social media at $2 Guitar. And follow us at Performance ANX. Rate and review. It helps us a lot. You can buy us a coffee with no commitment at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Merch is at performanceanx.threadless.com. Now let's jump right into this conversation with Tim Foyan on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey, it's Tim Folion. I'm uh, I'm on performance anxiety. I've got performance anxiety. Um, I'm going to be talking about the record I've got coming out called "I Dreamed a Dream" and a bunch of other stuff. We talked about a bunch of stuff. Um, I hope you uh, tune in. Oh, man. Thank you for joining me tonight. You're welcome. All right. Let me just get myself situated here a little bit. Man, it is dark in this room. I got to get lights. But I got some, <laughs> My house is so old. I've got like all the lights have to be plugged into the wall. I don't have any actual lighting in the room. Oh, yeah. So, that's all right, though. I like the, you know, the overhead lighting can get oppressive. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. and But the blue light from the uh, computer is very right. calming, right? It's a look. Yeah, yeah. it's a look. <laughs> Uh, let's see. So let me get back to my page. See, this is, I was doing research and I like to do a lot of research on my guests. I like to, I like to find things that I can ask about that you haven't been asked over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. I figure what's the point of doing an interview if it's the same interview somebody else did, but your career is, there's just so much of it. I 
I have like almost three pages of notes and I feel like I'm unprepared. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so um, we'll, I'll, I'll hit on as many things as I can. I also don't want to keep you here for like seven hours. So, well, what, what for your personal interest, what, what, uh, was interesting. Well, the first thing I want to know is I want to know about how you started playing. I mean, was there, were there guitar lessons? Was it another instrument? Was there a lot of music going on in the house? There was music. My mom had been a singer when she was younger. And so she would, uh, there was always a lot of music in the house. And I remember being young and her like, uh, getting me records that I couldn't really, you know, she'd buy me like 45s, which was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, but I remember specifically her getting me this Aretha Franklin single, which I couldn't really appreciate at the time. (laughs) You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like respect or some kind of up tempo like that. It was like a real like barn burner torch song, you know, heartbreak, you know, and it was really, but that's what she liked, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but like at that, you know, I was just a little kid, but I was, uh, you know, I was into the Archies and stuff. Oh, okay. Hey, well, you know, I think a lot of people were. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, so there was music around and I listened to music and, and uh, it took a while for me to understand that music was made by people, actual people somewhere in a room playing, you know, I thought it was, I don't know what I thought, but it was, it was all pretty abstract to me. And I started oh, yeah. to figure that out and that was something. When did you start playing an instrument? Was that something that you wanted to do, or was it something that your parents made you do? No, I, I did, no, I wish my mother. It was weird. My mother did not. Uh, I think in her mind, I was not extremely musical. <laughs> um, so, because so, uh, she was like, she had perfect pitch and stuff, and I oh, definitely wow. did not. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, the, I, she got me some guitar lessons. Uh, when I was quite young, but it was on a guitar that, you know, we bought at a drugstore and it was really unplayable. Yeah. And, uh, I took some, um, lessons from a hippie lady that taught me and tried to teach me how to play (laughs) Puff the Magic Dragon and it kind of bailed. But then much later I did start taking some lessons and, uh, got an electric guitar when I was, you know, 14, 15. Okay. And this is all in Kalamazoo area? No, Midland. Midland oh, Midland. Michigan. Okay. Yeah, the home of the home of Dow Chemical. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you decide that this was something that you liked doing and you wanted to play with other people and play out in public in a band? That started, I mean, like I was, you know, in high school, I did start playing with some people and uh, I wasn't very good, but I found some other people who were also not very good. And, uh, <laughs> And I started playing with them and they had, you know, they had charisma and that, uh, and so we did some shows then. I mean, I really liked, I, I got very into, you know, rock and roll in general. And, um, so I was just really interested in, in the lifestyle, you know, I, you know, it's still small town stuff though. So we were pretty much making it up as we went along, you know? Okay. We'd, we'd look at records and be like, yeah, I want to be like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Is that where you met Steve Shelley? I met him in Midland, yeah, and we we had actually gone to the same high school, but we didn't know each other in high school. But after oh. high school, we met, and he actually was in a band with one of the guys that I had been in a band with earlier in in uh, high school, and so there was a connection there. Okay, yeah. and so you guys 
got together and formed these spastic rhythm tarts? We were, I was, when I went to Kalamazoo, I hooked up with um, Mike Love and Sherry Fight, and those are their real names. And, um, <laughs> uh, and I was, they neutralized each other. We had a trio um, for, for a while, and it was pretty art damaged, and we, we, uh, we could like clear a basement in no time. <laughs> and, um, and then I got, and I, and Steve had gotten me in a band in East Lansing and then called Faith and Morals. And then I'd been play, playing with Steve on and off when I'd go back to Midland. And, and, uh, then I got him involved in the, in the spastic rhythm tarts and, which is the case a lot when Steve joins a band, it becomes a lot more you know he brings a lot to the table so okay. he brings a lot of like song you know it, it changes things so oh, yeah. he so the band changed quite a bit when he when he joined it and uh so that's how that worked was playing there what really made you want to become a, mu a professional musician or was was there something else that that really steered you towards that as as a career yeah i don't know if i was still at that point I mean, I don't know if I ever, uh, to this day, I don't know if I've ever really looked at it as a career, <laughs> you know? Um, I, uh, it was not like that. Then it was super art damaged. Right. And uh, so it was very just expressive and, and expressionistic in a lot of ways. So there was, it was kind of anti-career in a way, but we had... <laughs> We had aspirations, though, because it was a different world. You know, the 80s, was, it was kind of a free-for-all. But, it, you know, I mean, to put it more in a, in a more blunt way, like it wasn't until the 90s I ever made any money for music. Okay. You know, so, that, so as far as it wasn't a – there was never a career stuff, but I knew it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And so I kept – doing you know there were periods in the 80s where i really didn't have a band but i was recording at home or oh, i was okay. doing something you know i was doing some, i was always thinking about it so it was always it part was, of your life even if yeah, it wasn't it was, the main focus yeah you know because it was sort of a part of the art thing you know i was sort of a painter so i so I, you know and i went to school in new mexico and but i was still making tapes and talking about music very involved in the music scene you oh. know Okay. So just, it was, it was always there, but it wasn't, it, it, uh, I don't know if I, I mean, I was definitely a musician, but I don't know if I kind of thought about it in, in that. And, and, you know, the eighties was kind of like that anyway, there was this huge smear between art and music. Like there was not the, right. the division that there is now. I don't think it was, it, it, it all kind of got mushed together. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, I was, I was, you know, that's, I was growing up at that point. So it, I was listening to a lot of different stuff. That's one of the cool things that I always look back on is the, the differences in styles that were just played on the radio. Yeah. You know, you know, you'd, you'd have tears for fears and, and even MTV back at then, you'd have a tears yeah. for fears song would come on and then, you know, the art of noise would come on immediately after. So, right. Know, it, it was we great. were talking around i was talking to somebody who we talked talk, talking to my girlfriend just the other night and we were just thinking about how and it was seemed all normal at the time but like devo had a hit yeah. like devo had a huge hit yeah like how did that happen you know like that's crazy now on the radio it was yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, huge 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and somehow they ended up working with Neil Young. Yeah, yeah, which which makes more sense than having a top forty <laughs> hit for Devo because where they came, you know, I mean, they were so that uh, you know, and I always loved them from the beginning, and they were, but they were out. I mean, that was some out shit. Yeah. Were, out stuff. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's a podcast. You can say what you want. Oh, cool. So, All right. Cool. <laughs> so then you started to to move around, and you ended up in Chicago, New Orleans, Albuquerque, and but you ended up in Hoboken. Yeah, Hoboken. How Hoboken did that happen? Was, well, that was because of Steve, because he actually had been. You know, he would we'd run into him. Uh, we put on a show for his band Sonic Youth at, in New Mexico, and. You know, so we we stayed in touch, you know, yeah. and uh, we had sort of run out of road. I was married at the time and we had kind of our, our lives had become a little uh, dark. Yeah. And um, so, you know, Steve was like, I, I, you know, apartments are cheap here. I can get you an apartment. And so that was the first time in a long time that we had moved towards something. We didn't, you know, we did a lot of moving away from things. Yeah. And uh, so we we actually moved there. And that's and so I got that got a cheap apartment you know and, oh yeah uh, and then i've been here ever since that's good i i used to go to hoboken i used to live in new jersey so i'd go to maxwell's every once in a while yeah. and yeah at least that was the one of the coolest places around i was there four nights a week probably for Jeez. most of the 90s oh man so i probably yeah, ran into you at some point probably yeah <laughs> so when did you decide uh or i guess maybe the better better way to phrase this is how did $2 guitar come to be? Um, that was, uh, you know, I was working on some songs and, and, uh, recording them on four track and stuff like that. And, and, uh, Steve had started a label and he was just like, well, I'll, I could put that. I kind of like that song. It's messed up. I'll yeah. put that out, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, that that's it because it's it's got this weird, menacing slackerness to the sound of it. It's it's a, a little creepy sometimes. It's just got it's like Space Needle meets Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Which and I, I love Space Needle and Silence of the Lambs is a cool movie, so it kind yeah. of works for me. But yeah. um, like Blood on the Palm, that's got to be one of the creepiest songs I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. I know that she is up in heaven And we're going straight to hell Oh, sweet Mary What do we But it's a great song. And so the first album was Let Me Bring You Down. Yep. But the title track wasn't till the second album. Right. I'm always the, the, curious about that when that yeah. happens. Well, it was a, just a, um, it was just a phrase that oh, I thought yeah. was kind of humorous yeah. for the first one. And, uh, and the, but then it came up as a refrain for the second, you know, it just, I don't know, that happens. There's a whole thing, I guess, with my records, there is like this echo. Things show up on the next record from the last record a lot. I guess. Okay. I guess that, uh, there's a couple songs that have shown up that way and, and uh, definitely some 
some riffs, some musical ideas. Yeah. So was there a progression? Because when you were in the Kalamazoo area, you were more hardcore. The music was a little more hardcore from what I understand. I tried finding yeah. some and I couldn't. So it was, well, that single's great. And it it's not really exemplary of, of what we were doing at the time exactly. But there's a, it, that band became Strange Fruit, which I was in a little bit. And then Steve was in for quite a while. And that's a little more, I think, like what it was. But it was, that was, I would think at the time would have been described more as noise. Okay. You know, and it then, was a noise band. Yeah. And then. But we played with hardcore bands. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that, that makes a little more sense then to me. But then by the time you started $2 Guitar, there's more of an Americana slacker, almost like a yeah. pavement feel to the music. Was there a, a progression or was it you just kind of got tired? You wanted to, to try something slow new? Down. Yeah, slow well, down. I, I think I had just gotten really into the songwriter thing, you know, okay. like um, listening to a lot of, uh, you know, like Leonard Cohen and stuff like that and Towns Van Zandt and, and uh, really interested in that kind of songwriting, you know, and of course I was still listening to Nick Cave now that he wasn't in the birthday party anymore. Yeah. And they, you know, and, and there'd been this, you know, so there, there was that, you know, and Scott Walker, I think I was just interested in, in a, you know, in all this old country stuff. And yeah. um, I don't know. I was just in interested in this darker, slower sound. You know, I'd always, I remember as a kid, I'd been into like, you know, who is it that you know sings "You've Lost That Loving Feeling" and the is that the Chambers Brothers? Oh, the Righteous Righteous Brothers. Righteous Brothers. The Righteous yeah. Brothers. And uh, um, you know, just the low singing thing that was kind of creepy. Oh, I like the Bill Medley kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like the, I like that. That always was a, as a thing as a kid. I guess that came back. Wanted to be able to do that, but yeah, I don't know. I think it was just a. It was just musical growth. Yeah, I think Maybe. it was getting a little. Well, no, I don't know. I I listened to. I mean, I think that. Or just a change in really taste. Get, but the, like the Spastic Rhythm Tarts was definitely one of the greatest bands I was ever in. It was, the, it was so good. They one were of the so greatest good. names. They were they were so good, and it was like I could you know I'm not that person anymore. None of us are, so you could really couldn't do the. But they, you know, it was a fantastic thing that couldn't happen again. You know. Yeah. So the third album ends up being all instrumental. Was that the plan from the start for $2 Guitar? No. That record, I wish I could remember how that, I think it had to do with, uh, gosh, because in my memory, I'm thinking we recorded that at, at Easley. I would have to look at the record, but it seems like some of it happened at the Jolly Roger studio also. Okay. But we were like... Uh, <laughs> I think it must have been done at G Jolly Roger because I think it was a new studio and they were offering a studio studio time to get it up and running. Okay, I think that must be how it happened. But it was a um, we'd been thinking about we'd been you know because we in those days, which some people still do, but not too many in New York. You know, but you had this thing where you just played with the band every week, and so we'd just be working out the things, and we just had this sort of somewhat improvisational thing going on okay that we were into and so we had these grooves and and uh it was really nice to 
not have to come up with lyrics and not to not you know and, and not uh, have to sing because I wasn't too confident in my singing and And uh, it turned out to be one of the most popular, popular, <laughs> popular records we did, which I don't know what that says about my singing. <laughs> I don't know, but I'll, I'll tell you, the, the album Weak Beats and Lame Ass Rhymes wins my vote for the best album title of all time. Oh, good. I absolutely <laughs> love that title. <laughs> but now, during that time, you're also collaborating and touring with a lot of people. Um Half Japanese, uh, yeah. Cat Power, Thirst and More. How did that come about? How did how did, was that something that you were looking for work, or, or did some were people just saying, "Hey, you know, I, I like your sound. Why don't you come and play with us?" It started with Jad. It started, you know, because of Steve. Steve was playing with Jad. Oh, Jad Fair. Jad Jad Fair and Friends was the thing he was doing then, and they were doing a show in Philly, and. Uh, um, Steve said, you know, Jad says, bring your guitar, you know, you sit in on a couple songs and, um, I get there and Jad wants me to play the whole set. <laughs> He's like, it doesn't matter what song you play as long as you're playing a song. And so, okay. <laughs> and so we did that and then I, he seemed to like it apparently. And so then he had me tour with him in Europe and stuff. And that was the beginning of of uh, stuff and then just weird things would happen i'd get asked to drive for the boredoms and end up playing right <laughs> you know and i mean i think and you know and steve and i sort of developed this drum and in those days it was kind of de rigueur to not have a bass player so i would we we got these these gigs as sort of the we were trying to do the sly and robbie of of uh indie rock you know oh. but um, <laughs> it, uh, um but uh, we got so we'd get set up as a rhythm section a lot for people, okay. you know, and, and like met Sean at a show. Steve was playing with the raincoats oh, and yeah. um, and Sean opened up and she was great. And so I followed her around and talked to her and stuff like that. And and she needed a band then. And so we ended up playing with her. And, OK, you know, it just is happenstance. I mean, the Thurston thing was more deliberate. Yeah, he knew me, you know. How did you get hooked up with Town Van Zandt? That was through Steve, and that was uh, via uh, Mud Honey. They had his connection, and Steve was a huge fan of Towns, and we'd gone to see him a couple times and talked to him, and he turned me on to Towns. And uh, um, Steve had set up this thing, and right then he was, um, you know, Sonic Youth had some sway at Geffen, and so he had made this mixtape of, of town songs and, you know, and so he'd worked up this deal with Geffen where they could do a re-release of some hits and also a new record. Oh, cool. You know? And so, uh, we met with him a few times. It was always an adventure. So, and unfortunately you were working on something with him when he passed. Yeah. We were, it was new year's and, and, uh, yeah, we were in the studio the night before and he had, we didn't, 
we knew he was he was messed up, but he had broken his hip actually. Oh, and wow. so finally he had to go in the hospital, and then he so the next you know on New Year's Day he, he uh, yeah he passed away, yeah. but he got to get home first, which was a good thing. Oh, that's good. Oh man. So is is, is that how you really I guess really started in the sidekick business because you you played and toured with so many people. So I guess it's, that's that's kind of the start of it. Would work was the happenstance and just. Yeah, yeah. People finding you know, out, just in, in being, meeting people, and and uh, you know all kinds of, you know, ended up playing with uh, Christina Rosenvinga from from Spain because she was working with Lee Ronaldo, and you know, and just uh, you know, just a bunch of different things happened, and then get her to sing on my record, and she's actually singing on the new record. Yeah, it was a cool to get that and that was totally like she was in town and i'm could you do this and she totally came over wrote the parts she was so ready to work it was crazy oh that's awesome yeah i was really lucky because i'd been trying to figure out how to make that happen and then she just showed up it was kind of magical all right so i have a question about thurston moore because okay you've worked with him a lot You, you you know you're all over the psychic hearts album yeah, he's completely insane. That, okay, that's that Certis, was one question. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of his music sounds accidental, like. Uh, but well, what, what like what, what? What do you mean? Like like um, uh, I guess that, that was the, a weird way to put it. I guess like um, found sounds like if if you're you guys are rehearsing something or you're maybe recording it, but something isn't quite right, but it sounds better. He'll keep it. It sounds. It sounds kind of like. Well, there's a there's. I'm not I think putting there's it always in the right room way. for that. There's always room for that. Okay. Um, but I would say that Thurston is one of the more most deliberate players I know. Okay. So it's very. Um, I mean, a lot of that is built in, and a lot of it. But I mean, there's always. I think there's always room, and he, you know, he's a great improviser. But it's because he is very deliberate in his where he's going. Probably, I would guess that uh, uh, probably not very much of what sounds accidental is. Okay. I would it, guess. I, I'll go back to uh, a story that I'd heard about Matthew Sweet. And and mm-hmm. it, it kind of, hearing Thurston Moore makes me think of this story. And it's that um, when he was recording, I guess it's maybe it's the Altered Beast album, I don't know if it was Richard Lloyd or, or, or Robert, one of the guitars had uh, dropped his guitar or something while they were playing, like the, the strap broke and it, yeah. it hit something and it made this weird sound and he's like, oh, keep it. That sounds that's great. Yeah. So that, that's what I kind of mean by the accident. It sounds like. Well, yes. And I, but I think that Thurston, you know, the way he plays guitar, there is a conscious looking for those things all the time. So oh, yeah, okay. they're all, I mean, I think, and I kind of think that all uh, guitar is such a wacky instrument, especially um, electric guitar. In some ways, it's all found sounds, you yeah. know, because it's never really in tune. It's it's <laughs> uh, it's just you know it's. It, but I've been thinking about this found sounds thing a lot, and I do think I think that um, I think that Thurston would probably be really pleased that that's how it sounds. That is because he you know he was totally into that tradition of a prepared piano. Yeah, cage and stuff like that. So there's things there that are are out of your control. But that said, Thurston's very deliberate in his 
in what he puts out okay. you know like it's 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 pretty deliberate playing okay yeah. we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors when did you decide to start doing solo albums instead of band work well the the i guess the last two dollar guitar record was something i made in my house okay by myself uh, it just all, you know, the, the band sort of dissolved. It just, uh, I don't know. It's, I guess it was, it's something about it made sense to me that there was, that there was a solitary aspect to the music and, and, you know, a sort of isolated thing. It was funny to start just doing it under my own name. Yeah. It was, you know, because the nineties were all about having this fake moniker right right you don't want to use your own name yeah. and it was like a, um so there was something about i think there was something that i connected with doing it under my own name that pushed me more into the singer songwriter head i maybe it's a tough call i don't know you know it's yeah. a, all these things are so long ago like i <laughs> think about these things and i really don't know like, how did you come to that? That doesn't seem like such a great idea. Why did you do that? You know? <laughs> well, one of the things I, I enjoyed listening to going back, was the uh, Dead River soundtrack. Oh, wow. How did, so how did that come about? Well, there was a guy in New Mexico who I'd never met, and he was very interested in the, um, in the uh, Train Songs record. Okay. And he approached me about using some of that and then it, you know and then it turned into me making the soundtrack for the movie oh, wow which i have never actually seen the final cut of <laughs> i don't know if the music actually made it to the movie or not but i produced this 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 record for it to the and it was fun to make because i was actually and of course i didn't have any of the I didn't have my technical game very together, so I was doing it in a very haphazard way. But, you know, you were playing along to scenes and stuff, which is something I'd always wanted to do. Yeah. And it's and it kind of produced all this music. And some of it's pretty good. Some of it's kind of I'm not so sure about, but, <laughs> but it is a thing, you know. It's really interesting. I really I was listening to it today at work. And I oh, that's great. Really enjoying it, actually. Oh, good. Good. Your next, I guess, your next foray into film is more TV with side boob. <laughs> yeah, side boob. How yeah. did side? <laughs> how did, can you tell me a little bit about side boob and how how that came to be? How you got involved with that? Well, this is all Lyle Heisen's fault, and um, <laughs> uh, he, you know, he got this. There was this thing coming down the pipe where he works there, trying to find music for for shows and um, his company and uh, you know, and they were, and there was this character uh, Caputo who was supposed to have this band. Right. Right. And they kept, and the things that people kept coming up with were like these, you know, they were just too, they were all too young and good looking, ah. you know? <laughs> and, and so he literally sent them a picture of Tom with his a really crappy picture of Tom with his dog in his lap. And, uh, <laughs> and something else and they went for it you know but but we had you know tom had this studio and so we could produce the music as well and so wow. we would they would they would pitch us the lyrics and we would just write music for it which was fun oh cool okay so so this is for orange is the new black yeah. and for any for 
you know, maybe somebody who doesn't realize what we're talking about, but so the lyrics were already done. You had to write music around the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That seems backwards to me. It was, but it was, it's very liberating actually. <laughs> and you know, and the idea was it didn't have to be great because it's a bar band, right. you know? And so, you know, but with the one, they sent the uh, workers in the mine first and I was able to feel that pretty well. Because it just made sense to me, and it was just so. I mean, like we couldn't believe how you know the lyrics are really kind of dumb in a yeah. kind of great way, and um, <laughs> you know, so it was just fun. And then, but then we had to act. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and that was really kind of horrifying. Oh, so this <laughs> is this your first uh, film credit? Probably. Well, no, I was in a Towns Van Zandt movie. Oh, that's so right. That shows up. Yeah, that's right. But um. But uh, yeah, it was the first, but it was definitely the first acting in front of real cameras and stuff. And, um, but Nick, the guy, and we ended up doing more with Nick because he had to, he had to do, you know, they had to make him sing and stuff. And he really, he's like, I really can't sing. And he really couldn't. Yeah. And um, <laughs> uh, we worked with him and did stuff and it, it really worked out. He was so game. And it was, you could see it was so difficult for him because as a, as an actor, it's, I think it's pretty easy for him yeah. now at this point, but he, uh, but he was actually a great, he was, he was a great hang. Just like his thing was totally cool. Yeah. And at what point did you start pursuing your master's in psychoanalysis? Well, that's a good question. I think it had to be five years ago or so. Okay. Think, roughly. It's been a long, it's been a while. I, yeah, uh, I started my master's in something and, a few years ago and I'm still not where I don't even remember what it is because I haven't worked on it. Do you remember what it is? No, I don't. <laughs> uh, I think it was something with marketing, but I don't remember. Uh, a lot of good that's going to do me. <laughs> so is that something you've always had an interest in or is that something based on the songwriting that, that piqued your interest? Well, I, you know, I've always, it's funny because I, my interest in it was always kind of because of surrealism. Okay. There was always, there, there was this real presence of psychoanalysis and in surrealism and um uh and you know and i was interested in woody allen movies you know yeah. so there's always a lot of psychoanalysis in there oh yeah and um but they're just weird ra random stuff like that and then i started uh i went to a place in the city uh because i was having some conflicts in my life and uh i uh went to a place that had a sliding scale you know, I'd heard about this place before. Okay. And, um, and I started doing that and something was going on and I couldn't figure out what it was. Definitely something was happening and things were changing in my life and things were changing, but I couldn't figure out how that was happening. And I think that's what got piqued my interest. Okay. You know, it just was like, what is going on here? Yeah. You know, and that place was in the basement of the, the, the Institute where I ended up going oh, okay now does the psychoanalysis the study of psychoanalysis is that ever 
intentionally creep into your your lyrics? Yeah, I mean, well, I think even you know, unconsciously, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but um, consciously, consciously, yeah. Well, this whole new record about dreams and everything, you know, because dreams are really important to psychoanalysis and uh, what is a dream and what isn't and, and stuff like that. There was a lot of thinking about those things, but now uh, it's funny. I tend to think about songs that were already written. I think in, I think about them in, you know, sort of somewhat psychoanalytical terms, just like a different perspective. Okay. Oh, so um, do you go you back know, and look at your old music in with a new so well, Yeah. You know, and it's totally weird that it's <laughs> basically written and performed by a stranger and, and, uh, you know, and just like, well, that's really, wow. I couldn't, I could do that again. Or that's how I, that's that it's really interesting to me. And I, I get a kick out of it. It's, that's the nice thing about making things is you go back and you, you can see them later, yeah. you know, after, after a, few years go by you have a lot more appreciation for them i think uh, yeah hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we mentioned the new album i found i i dreamed a dream and you kind of got back together with a couple of your guys from two dollar guitar was that the plan from the start uh so you you, you got back jerry wilms and uh and christina which you, you've mentioned right yeah was that the plan well i know we know christina wasn't the pl- really the plan that was a lucky happenstance but was it kind of the plan to do an album with jeremy or was that again well jeremy's been uh jeremy was on the last one too okay he was on fucking love songs and you fed me your heart and i still wonder why the night And Jeremy was super integral to this one because he had been doing all this composition work. And so I, I hit him up to do the, the string arrangements on this. And, and, um, and that's, so there are these really big, really abstract, um, well, not really abstract, but I asked for something kind of modern or, you know, I didn't have to say much. I don't know what I asked for. I think I said three (laughs) words and he got it immediately and came back with these things that were perfect. So he was, you know, he's the arranger on, on this thing. And so it's really much more of a, you can really feel him in this thing, but I, but I've been working with Jeremy pretty much the whole time. Okay. So he has never gone away. Brian also, I've been working steadily, you know, in live situations and, and on the last record and stuff for a long time. Both of those guys are sort of solid. Brian Cantor. Yeah. 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 He's just, he's, playing the drums on the album. And uh, I'll tell you, this album is, I liked it when I first heard it. And every time I listen to it, it's growing on me more and more. And it's really good. I love the opener once, the little the plucked strings. And all, it's just, that's a beautiful, beautiful opener. made love to the 
Most beautiful of all Lonely women in the world Like a dream It seems so real And the whole album, all the strength, it's very lush. I really yeah. love the yeah, strings yeah. on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, he did... It's incredible. And the people we got to play on it were just, you know, it's just really just a couple people, but they're kind of doing a whole section and they just amazing players. Like yeah. I knew, I knew, I know, I knew Megan from work. Actually, I worked at a guitar store and I knew she was good. You know, yeah. I knew she was, she was working a lot. I knew she was good, but I, I've been in a lot of studio situations with string players and she's just insanely good i mean nobody could believe it everybody that was there were just like is <laughs> it's very difficult it's very difficult to to play violin in a recording situation you oh know, yeah the, the control is just and she's stacking harmonies and it, wow. it was something yeah it was great so when did you actually start writing the album god <laughs> i think it was probably about five years ago probably <laughs> Probably, yeah, probably about five years ago. Okay, okay. All right, so going back to some of the tracks, because I've got a few other questions about writing the album, but I want to I, I wait for a minute. Okay. The first four songs, kind of lull me into a nice sense of, we'll say security, and then Remember Me comes out with this really up-tempo, new wavy bass. The, the album is very orchestral and American kind of an Americana feel to the, the very first, the first four tracks. Yeah. And then, then remember me comes out with this new wave baseline and the beautiful Americana style guitar and strings. And I wasn't <laughs> expecting that bass. That yeah. was really cool. change of pace on that yeah 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 it was um and that song had you know had begun its life as sort of a twee um you know old english ballad kind of thing oh wow and, um uh but you know the crowd rock thing just, just you know snuck in there <laughs> it was really good <laughs> and those guys are just like like they, on that song you know, Brian and Jeremy, like the, the, that playing, you know, uh, it just is astounding. Like to keep that kind of propulsion going like that is really something. Oh yeah. And it, it's, it's a steady beat going through that whole thing. It doesn't, it, it's, it's rock solid. Yeah. He's, they're, they're, they're nuts. They're nuts. They're way above my pay grade. Really. <laughs> and then you flipped it on me and you roll it right into wake up, yeah. which I, that's, that's my favorite track on the album. 
<laughs> well, that's good. Absolutely. That's a lot about you. <laughs> it does. I think it does. Uh, and I'll be putting the clip in here so people understand that one. expecting that at all it was it's got this badass riff i love that that guitar line and it's there's not a lot of instrumentation to it but this it the lyrics are awesome and it sounds like there's a really interesting story behind it you want you want the story i would love it (laughs) (laughs) that is actually from a that that started with a real with a real dream. Oh, wow. So, um, so there really was a dream where somebody came to me and said, it's done. I'm gone, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it was about a situation that was happening in real life, you know? And so then it just is, uh, you know, it just is a, a pretty basic blues number about, about, um, death and, uh, you know, how things are, are, you know, what was a dream? What, you know, you thought some was, but it's gone now. And okay. the, you know, I don't know if I get, you know, and of course it's about whatever you think it's about. What do you think it was about? Uh, I, I had a, oh, I had a situation early in life that I wish I had heard this song when I was in the middle of it. So that's good. That would, that would, it would have helped me out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it's, you know, I, and that one just sort of came together. And then uh, likewise, the recording came together. It was just a live recording, you know. Oh, awesome. And so it's just, it's good. It's good the way it went that way. And it was, you know, and I, strangely enough, I always, I always wanted to try to make a song like that. Oh, yeah. You know, you know yeah. Like it was pretty much a lot of, there's a few guys that I listen to a lot that I would like that I'll never be that, but that I could at least sort of take a shot. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So recording the album, did you do, I'm assuming, and tell me if I'm wrong, that you did at least part of it throughout this pandemic. No, no. I mean, well, there was some, there was some mixing and some, some uh, stuff done remotely like here at my house and, I don't know how much of that. There was an actual one day going into the studio, sitting with Tom and doing some final adjustments during the pandemic. But the tracking was done. the The original, the basic tracking was done a long time ago. But then all these overdub strings and Christina and stuff happened, sort of in different places at different times. Okay, the, the strings happened in the studio, except for Dan. He did his remotely. So. Um, is that is that difficult to do when you have so many different parts like like a, 
orchestral piece that you're trying to put into uh, you know like a five minute track, and you've got all these different elements going on. Is it hard to tell somebody what you want when they're doing it remotely and and have it come out the way you want it to? Well, Dan had worked with Jeremy a lot. Like those guys work together a lot, and Dan is just a ridiculously good player. So, so Jeremy was able to explain that very well. Okay. Um, and it's, I mean, it's all difficult. It's all difficult, but if you're, you know, it, the thing is, is if this is what I rely on. If you, if you're, if you choose really good people, you don't have to give much direction. That makes sense. That's a good point. You know, and like they, they're all, they pick up or they provide they have a little of what you're looking for. So they're, they're bringing it, you know, like, like with Brian, well, with any of these people, they just, just, you know, you sort of say a little thing, like not that, not that maybe something like this. And they have a feel for where it is. And they give you not only what you were looking for, but so much more, you know? Yeah. So. I can't decide. And I, that the song, not, I'm not just, I'm not saying yeah. that. So people have this, awesome drone at the end. How did you do that? Because I love that's Jeremy. That's Jeremy. So that is um, that is he's just doing this fuzz bass. So he's doing that on fuzz bass, and that is also that piece of music that's on the end there that he extrapolated out of those sections. That became the instrumental that is the second song on the record. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, I dream. And so there's this weird reversal, uh, you know, just a loop, a little loop. Yeah, that's awesome. But he, yeah, he is. um, Yeah, it was some. I can't remember what what the chain on his bass was, but it was really fuzzy, and he was just just built that thing. That is that is so cool. I love that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it it goes with the whole album. I mean, there's a great classic old sound to the instruments. I mean, do you, do you nice. use a lot of vintage instruments or are you using newer stuff? Um, it's, it's a lot of actually older, or at least, you know, even if we're, we're all guys that even if we're buying something new, it's, it's something that is made to emulate or it's modified to emulate something old. Usually, okay. you know, like the drum kit was, I can't remember if it was Brian's kit or it was this new kit that Tom had in the, I can't remember, but, but anyway, it's, and really it's the, um, you know, like I was using, I used the same guitar in the whole record and it was, it's an old guitar. Okay. Um, but it's really the players that make stuff sound old. Okay. You know, like Brian, (laughs) it doesn't matter if he, Brian sounds pretty vintage, no matter what he's playing. Likewise, Jeremy sounds pretty, they can sound really mod. Yeah. If they, they both have played in some really mod, edgy stuff but but they 
their fingers are old. Yeah. <laughs> Very old, experienced. Brian's got a really old foot. Yeah. <laughs> well, you okay? So you mentioned drums. You've got a few tracks like "In My Dreams." The drums on that—it sounds like it's an old drum machine. Is that what that is? It's a oh god yes, it's a very old drum machine. It's a, it's an old uh, uh, Baldwin from a from a um, an old keyboard thing that okay. I got from Jeremy actually. Yeah. Okay, because I was gonna say it sounds like my grandmother had an old organ kind of thing that she would play, oh, yeah. and would have a couple pre-programmed drum beats like a bossa nova and all kinds of, and she would just play on this organ and have a blast that must have been awesome oh it was great my my grandmother was a, she's a, she played piano very well and uh, i'm really angry because she had uh, this really awesome and i can't i can't play piano at all but um she had an old organ i don't remember what kind it was but she also had two steinways and wow they're gone and wow. no idea whatever happened to this I blame my cousins. Yeah. I think they took them. Sold yes. them. For nefarious purposes. No, my cousins are actually yeah. good, but I do think they took them. Just yeah. in case they're listening, you guys owe yeah. me. We know. Has the past year changed how you work at all? Have you been working on anything new beyond the new album? Um, I've, doing, I'm doing, I've been doing these experiments and getting things together. I'm I, I have another little record that I'm going to put out that's sort of like side effects that is uh, going to be talk about found sounds. It's just stuff I found like out experimenting with different sort of recordings and stuff like that. Oh, and so cool. that's, you know, so I, I'm always doing that kind of junk and trying to make it all a little more finished and it's all it's kind of soundtracky, you know, kind of shapeless. But uh, I lately I've gotten really involved in making the videos for this for this uh, record. Oh, so cool. I, I, you know, figured out how to use green screen and stuff and it's really absurd. Oh, so I'm awesome. doing these ridiculous <laughs> videos. And uh, so that's, that, that's been really compulsive. That's awesome. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, hopefully, you know, it looks like maybe things might start opening up again soon. Yeah. Are you going to be taking the show on the road for the new album? I don't know. I, it's funny because the new, you know, job and everything, I don't know uh, how that's going to work. And I haven't really truly toured. We've done little things. I haven't really, really, really toured in, in years. Um, I don't know. It's funny. I've gotten to this point. There's, there's this place that I've discovered in town. That's the Sisera gallery, which this guy Issa runs. And, uh, it's this crazy place. Like it's this wonderful gallery, just chock full of surreal stuff, but it's also a um, venue. And so I played there and, and there's something about playing there to a few people. It seems very old, like not very old, but like something, like something from the eighties in New York or something, but um, oh, cool. it's, there's something very satisfying about that. And that does a lot 
for me as far as playing live, but I'm sure I'll end up doing some things. I don't, I really don't have a plan about that. Yeah. Keeping it local then New Jersey. Maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, it's, I have no idea. (laughs) I think it's going to, the record will probably dictate that. Okay. Like if I get invitations to go someplace or something like that, then I can build something around that. It's re- I really have no uh, no concept of that anymore, and I really yeah. don't know what it's like out there anymore. Nobody it, does, especially this after this year. But I yeah. mean, even even rolling up to this year, like everybody I knew, they were doing a lot of house parties and a lot of you know there aren't oh. the there aren't the clubs that there used to be. For, yeah. That's for really, yeah, that's a really good point. Even before the pandemic shut everything down, a lot of the, the smaller places don't exist yeah. like they used to. Yeah. That's really sad. But well, where can people find the album? And, and at this point, I'm, it'll be a few weeks before this comes out. So, um, <laughs> Uh, um, not sure if they'll be able to uh, pre-order it or order it at this. Yeah, time. you can pre-order it. Uh, it'll it'll be up on the um, the Card Horse Records website, but it's also be it, there'll be a link to it on my website. You can uh, there'll be a link to it on my uh, two dollar guitar Instagram. There's there it's on Bandcamp. There's going to be vinyl and CDs also. Oh, awesome. um, so my name on Bandcamp will put you there. I dreamed a dream. All right. know. And that's already up, so you can do pre-orders now. Oh, cool. And yeah. is, what's the the uh, social media presence? You have a, you said you have a website. You have, uh, what's the Instagram? I have a website. I have Instagram, and I have uh, um, Instagram is two dollar guitar. Okay. And uh, but if you put in my name, it comes up. And I've, I'm on Facebook. I'm not very good at Facebook anymore, but I'm trying to put stuff up there. <laughs> and. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called Parabolic Chamber where I've been putting up some, that's something else I've been doing. I'm putting up some old movies I made from the eighties. And so I'm going to be putting up some more. Oh, cool. so these videos will end up there after they premiere. So. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. Well, Tim, thank you so much, man. This has been a great well, thank time. You. I really do appreciate your time. And, and uh, I was a little nervous starting this because of your, the expanse of your career and all the different things you've done. So I, I really appreciate you helping me work my way through it. Well, you're easy to talk to. And it's, you know, it's a good, uh, you, you know, yeah, it's, it's a lot of little things. Day is done. The day was long. of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial.